Your word is life, Lord. Your word is life. Your word is truth. And God, what we desperately need is more truth in our lives. Um, what we desperately need is wisdom when it comes to your truth. We desperately need uh, your truth to impact and reshape our thinking. And our minds, Lord, is, is what needs to be affected, God, and it needs to come through our hearts, Lord, and we need to act it out. And I thank you that you promise, you promise to renew us, to transform us, that it's already in action for the believer, Lord. So I just pray that your truth would greatly encourage us this morning, Lord. I thank you for your grace that covers our life, Lord. I thank you that it's just abounding, Lord, and it's endless. And we just thank you for that, Father. So speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. Encourage the little ones next door. We'll plant those seeds, Lord, we look to you to bring the growth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so last week, I don't know if you remember anything at all from last week. Who remembers anything at all from last week? That doesn't mean if you're raising your hand, I'll call on you. I'm just asking. <laughs> in that case. So last week, I saw two hands. That was amazing. So last week, what we talked about was, was kind of caregiver from our baptism because we did the baptism in the park and our, and our child dedications. And we talked about what baptism meant, what it meant to be a follower after Jesus Christ. Um, tried to really dig and, and take away the layers on that. So last week our focus was kind of unpacking that a little bit more as far as, okay, basically what it means to be a Christian is follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not to just be mental, mentally um, favorably disposed towards. To be kind of in mental agreement with. To say that he was kind of around, that, that doesn't make anybody a Christian at all in any way. Jesus' calling was, hey, follow me. Follow me. So that means we leave something, a way of living, a way of thinking, the way we used to do things. It might even carry over to jobs, might even carry over into relationships. But he says, hey, leave that. Follow me. Follow my way, the way I have for it. So last week we're like, okay, so if Jesus is saying, follow me, we looked at two questions last week. And two questions that we looked at were, number one is, how do you follow an invisible Jesus? He's not like strolling through Naga talking, hey, follow me. Follow me. I kind of wish he was. Might make it a little bit easier. Although Naga talk, he'd get harassed, you know, so it's like... That's right. Jesus go. We need that one. (laughs) That's true. We do need that. We need that app. You got to get on that app, Steve. That's right. We got to capitalize this thing. But like, so how do you follow invisible Jesus? So we talked about that last week. And then we talked about, um, is it not just realistic, but is it biblical? Are we expected to really follow after Jesus and actually live the way he lived and, and do what he did. Is that realistic? Is that biblical? Because if in some way it, it's not, that's a really heavy burden to place on people. And that could be really manipulative. Um, so we talked about those two things last week, and if you missed any of it, of course it's online. I would encourage you to listen to it. 
One of the things that we did say that I want to carry on this week that I don't feel like I did a great job in talking about last week, just given our time, was that, spoiler alert, um, we are expected to live like Jesus to go where he went. We are. So it's a spoiler alert. You might be thinking, why? How come? Good. You should go listen online. It's good. But we are expected to do that. And we, we're expected to go to people, anyone. We're expected to get by ourselves, just like he did. We're expected to experience suffering and difficult challenges, just like he did. We're also expected to be victorious and experience joy and hope in our life. Those are some of the places that Jesus went. We should be guilty of going some of those places very often. And one of the things we closed up with last week that I was saying, eh, could definitely do a better job on it. I felt like God put on my heart more for this week, was how can we, in our own strength, live up to what Jesus did? Eric's shaking his head. He's like, that's, that's a stupid question. Because he knows the answer, which we talked about a little bit last week. The answer is we can't. So we have this God that loves us, that calls us to a life as a Christian. He calls us to a life as a Christ follower. He calls us as moms, as dads, as workers, as brothers, as sisters, as friends. He calls us to live out these roles and arenas in life in ways that in and of ourselves we cannot do. That's on purpose. And it's not intended to make us feel bad. That's not the per- that's not the reason. He doesn't operate like that. The reason is so that we would have to rely on his strength, his ability, and his power. And we said that the number one empowering agent so we can live like Jesus is what? It starts with a G and ends with an E. Grace. You got it. That's the one. This is a really like big deal. This issue of grace. This idea of it. Because when it's like understood pretty well, it transforms everything in our relationship with God. Everything. Everything. So this idea and this concept of grace, it hits on the idea of godly sorrow or like just condemnation. What's the difference between the two? It hits on this idea of if I'm sinning repeatedly, does that even mean I'm still a Christian? Um... It hits on this idea of how worthy are we before God. It hits on the idea of when a believer sins, which that's what we do. That's what our battle and our struggle is with. When we sin, the struggle and the battle is, could be, am I a real Christian? Did I really mean it? Because God said, 
that if I was his and if I was truly forgiven, I wouldn't be doing this stuff anymore and now I'm doing this stuff still. Like grace hits on all of these arenas. So this is really important. I'm sure you've probably heard the phrase like, um, you know, they're in my good graces today. Right? You've probably heard something like that. They're in my good graces. They're in my good graces. I think we, we kind of know what that means, right? Good graces. When you're in somebody's good graces, that means like, oh, it's, it's going to be favorably like good. It's going to work out. Um, I know I've had certain people in life where it was nice to be in their good graces. It was also really well known when I wasn't in their good graces. And my approach and my behavior towards the ones that I thought I was in good graces with was quite a bit different than the ones that I knew I was not in good graces with. And they're probably like yours. You can imagine if you're in good graces with somebody, you want to talk to them, you maybe smile more, a little bit more outgoing, a little more friendly, a little bit like more jovial. Somebody that's not might be, number one, you probably don't even want to be around them, probably. <laughs> why would you not be nice towards me and give me your good graces, right? You probably don't want to be around it. So you think they have something after you, something against you. So it's like real short. It's like, ah, I don't want to deal with it. Put it off. It's not like that with God. It, it, it's like totally different. So much of us know how we interact with other people based on the way we interact with, interact with each other, but that's not the way it goes for God. Not at all. It's very interesting. Like, when I... At school, when I'm teaching and when I'm with the kids, the number one reason, and this is for guys, believe it or not, so I teach at all guys' school, the number one reason um, why guys have issues with their teachers, number one reason, I was surprised by it, is if they feel like they don't like them, they're not going to try, they won't respond, they won't do anything. I would think girls would certainly be like that. But I wouldn't think that... Most guys just like don't pick up on things, they're just not aware of a lot of issues, it's just emotionally just sort of non-existent a lot of times. So I have this idea of does somebody... Do I have a feeling or a sense that they like me or not? That's interesting to me that it really affects their behavior and how they learn how much effort they put forward. It's very interesting. I know that in the kingdom it's certainly true for a lot of Christians. Whatever we think about how God thinks about us, that definitely affects how we are in relationship with Him. That make sense? That affects it a lot. And like we prayed before to start the message, the battle like is always in the mind. What is God actually thinking about me? What's he actually expecting of me? And, and we come up with these ideas and with these cliches, and, and some of them might have threads of truth and stuff, but the battle is really for what does God say about me? What does he say about my heart? What does he say about my life? 
Where do I stand in relationship with him? How can I approach him? Can I actually just ask him for something? Or do I have to beg him for something? Does he care about my life enough? More than something else? So the way that we expect or we relate with God matters a lot, and all of this falls under the umbrella of grace in our lives. It's an empowering agent. It's super empowering. So here's what grace does when it's really healthy in a believer's life. Number one, it makes a believer very excited. It makes a Christ follower very, very excited. So, if a Christ follower has some staleness, a little dullness, a little uncertainty about who God is, I can pretty much guarantee you that grace is not alive and well in that person's heart. That's like, that's like the first thing that happens. I remember I went away maybe, I don't know how long ago that was, maybe like 12 years or so ago. Went to a men's retreat. Um, it was at a hotel down in New Jersey. It's just a men's one. We went down there. Guy came and shared really uh, personable, just relational type guy. And after the first night, I was like, man, what's he going to be talking about this weekend? Like, I don't even... Most, some retreats that I've been to, it's like there's a whole theme for the week. They kind of stick to that theme. They talk about the passages. And, and that's fine. I have nothing against that at all. But he, he didn't approach it that way. He just came with his Bible. He was in a chair. And he just talked about God. <laughs> and... After the first night, I was like, man, that was really powerful, but I don't know like, what he's talking about as far as one topic. But it was really powerful. Hmm. And then the next day, right around the middle of the next session, I got to it. And the whole thing that he talked about the whole weekend was grace. That was it. And I can give you, I think, maybe two solid things that I really remember from that. But I remember... In my heart, something within my soul, it just like leaped out. For whatever reason, it just never really connected before. But then it connected. And I was like, ah. my very first reaction, my very first reaction was just like freedom. I was like, oh, oh I don't have like this this super heavy code of things that I, that I have to do to be acceptable in a particular way. This is amazing. And I grew up in the church. <laughs> so it fills you with this excitement because there's so much freedom attached to it. There's a realization that my life is so important to my father. And he so wants to be connected to every intricate detail that happens. That is the truth. And not only is he interested, he wants to see us, he wants to see us succeed and be victorious and do well. He wants to see us go from strength to strength. The lie is that he just wants to make our lives more difficult and impress more rules and regulations upon us. Man, it couldn't be further from the truth. So I just wanted to unpack just, just a few things about grace this morning and just take a look at it. 
Um, I am going to read you, you don't have to turn there, but another verse, I promise you we're going to get to that Romans 6 passage. Um, 1 Timothy 2.1 is in your bulletin there. Um, that's not the one. I put the wrong one in there. Okay, somebody's got to find this and fix it for me. Huh? First Timothy 2.1, that's what I put in your bulletin there, but that's not the right one. No. I did, but here's the deal. Here's what somebody's got to look up and find for me, okay? And then we'll get to it. Um, the idea, maybe I have it written down right here for you. There it is. 2 Timothy 4.3. That's the one. Sorry about that. Here's where I put this one down. 2 Timothy 4.3. It says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So I think that summarizes like our, our, our kind of time here and now within the church. This is a big deal, this idea of grace. Because like a lot of times it's talked about within churches, especially in the Western churches, God loves you no matter what. You kind of just come as you are, do what you want to do, and you are loved, and He will... Bless your life. And, and that's, not, that's not what God is saying and what He says through His Word. So people would like for God to say that. That's nice to hear. And so if we could create a doctrine that says that, there's a lot of people that's going to like that and follow that. And God's saying, no, that's not exactly what grace is all about. There's much more to it than that. There might be threads of truth in there, but that's not the whole deal. So I wanted to just try and at least from our end, you know, talk about sound doctrine as far as grace goes. What God really says about, about it. Definitely involves freedom. It definitely involves favor. It definitely involves blessing. A couple of things involves. It requires hard work. There are requirements within grace. There are boundaries that need to be established. So there's like some things like that we also have to do. Which I think for a lot of you guys, it's not really news to because we've talked about it before, but we'll take a look at it. All righty. So, Romans chapter 6. Let's take a look. And I think this fits well, considering how we've moved from baptism, relationship in Christ, to now kind of living in Christ. So, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So he's kind of mid-sentence here, mid-thought, right? When we pick up. So if you look at 521, 520, it says the law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also what might reign? Grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's saying that grace is going to reign forever and be eternal. And like that first song, Oceans, we talked about, it just abounds. And other songs, it just describes grace as just an endless sea that you can drown in. It's amazing. So then he follows up what we just read. So then what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because some people can say, man, if there's so much grace in my life, I just need to sin all the time so that way I get more grace. <laughs> Those are just like the ones, man. It's just like, man, you don't get it. You know, it's just, no. No. Now what we're saying. Let me just tell you this, too, before we get a little bit any further at all. This idea of grace, I think it's helpful to know this. The word is charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis. Charis. That's the word that's used. Every time we're reading about grace and we're discussing about it, it's probably helpful to, to know what exactly word we're talking about here. So in Greek, like that's the word charis. Here's what it means. Favor, kindness, inclined to, leaning towards, freely extending to give oneself away towards somebody else. It's very interesting. So the grace, right, we just talked about, the grace that's in the believer's life, that means that now we are in a relationship with God where He is favorable towards us. He leans towards us. He's looking to freely give of himself to us. Say amen. amen. <laughs> Make a really big deal. God has specifically chosen and wants to be, it's his heart's desire to be in close communion and fellowship and intimacy with those that claim to follow Him. And He doesn't just want it so it makes Him feel good because He's insecure. He wants it so He can freely give of the amazing gifts and of who He is to those that love Him. Tell me you're getting this! He wants to get... So, like, the acronym for grace that a lot of times people use. God's riches. Say, God's riches. At Christ's expense. Right? God's riches at Christ's expense. It's somewhat, not perfectly, but somewhat synonymous to somebody coming to your house and just loading up 
a huge, insane debit card amount and saying, there you go. It's ready for you. These are the ways you got to use it, but it's ready for you. Anytime you need to withdraw, it's there for you. We get so busy and so crazy trying to do this whole like life on in our own strength and our own ability. We live under grace. We are empowered by grace. It's very clear through the word that God look, he looks it says it in the Bible. I look to and fro throughout the earth looking to see whose heart is committed to me so I can show myself to them. He promises, he said, listen, if you, in Jeremiah, if you seek me with all of your heart, I, you will find me. Which is actually interesting, because in Isaiah he goes, you know what, I hide myself throughout your day. <laughs> What's he doing? Hide and seek, Jesus style. Like that's this life of grace is like this is incredible. If Christians really believed that God desired to be close to them, that He wants to give of Himself to them, they would entertain a lot less about how worthy they are, how God might be able to use them, how like you know they can't make it to church or like take part in whatever, how inadequate they are. How does any of those things matter when grace is a part of the equation? I don't know how those things matter. The truth of the matter is they don't. Grace completely empowers us to get us where we need to go. God is saying, live in it. Live in it. And the only way that we can really live in by grace is to do it by faith. We actually have to believe it. We're going to talk more about this in a minute. But there's a growth to it. That's why it says growing. It's not like we just arrived and say, oh, I got grace. Boom. No, there's, there's, like a, there's a growth process that has to happen and take place. Because there's like continuous Awareness and revelation of how God thinks and feels towards us. It continues to grow. And it changes. And so someone that's 45 years in the Lord that's been faithfully following, they're understanding grace in a much different way than someone that maybe just gave their life to the Lord a couple of weeks ago. So we're called to grow in it. All right, so shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? It's crazy talk. 
By no means, exclamation point. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Man, I really would. Oh, Lord. I wish, I wish I came across more Christians who had that attitude. Instead, the sin thing is like, it's negotiable. It's like if I feel like it or not type thing. That is not a a thought process from the Bible that we're encouraged to stay in and maintain and to feed. The attitude is, man, I died to that thing. Inevitably, the next question is, well, what if... There's a big difference between struggling with a particular sin and flat out just continuing in it and just like, whatever, just let it ride. He's saying here, we die to it, how can we live it any longer? How can we continue in it? How can we keep going in it? So if somebody's caught in just a pattern of sins that they know they got to deal with, that God wants to deal with, and He's looking for their cooperation. Somebody could say, well, geez, I guess I'm not dead to it, so I don't even know if I'm really a Christian anymore because I just keep, just keep doing it. What we're called to do as Christians is say, man, no. I am dead to this. God hasn't... There's still things on my end I have to do, and it's not playing out to where freedom is actually experienced and known right now. But, I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure I'm in agreement with what he wants to do. So like this issue of like repeated sin thing, that just comes up all the time. Um, a couple of things that, that come with that are, do I have to ask God for forgiveness every single time that I do what I The short answer is no. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, did Jesus Christ forgive you for all of your sins? Let that sink in for a minute. He forgave all of them. Even the ones he didn't do yet. That is a big amen. Thank God I live under it. So we come to him. Oh, man, Lord. Not that forgiveness again. It's already paid for. It's done. So we come to God then and we say, Lord, I thank you. You've forgiven me for this. But I'm confessing it to you and I'm calling it what you're calling it. It's me going backwards and sinning. So I just confess that to you, Lord. I thank you that I won't even know about this too much longer. And freedom is guaranteed to me. That's what we do. That's the way we're called to approach it. So it's really important for us as Christians to know that if you're a Christian and a Christ follower, you're forgiven. So you leave here, you know, you mess up, you go do whatever, 
oh, I left church, you know, and I just... One, don't let it slide. That's when you're taking grace, taking advantage of it. That's crazy town. What you do, what I do, ah, oh, Lord, dang. I'm sorry, Father. Like, I'm thankful that you've forgiven me, but obviously I just... Thank you for making me aware of stuff that I still... Thank you, you're going to set me free of it. I don't have to stay there, though. Thank you. And that's kind of like a daily thing that will happen a lot. Now, for those issues that are a little bit deeper, and they're habitual, and it's harder to break free from, if there's not a plan in place from the believer to aggressively go after it, I'm not sure if we can call it repentance. Otherwise, it's like really good intentions. <laughs> so if there is something in the believers, and I've had it in my life, and maybe you do or maybe you don't anymore. You're just totally free stuff, whatever it is. Whatever the situation. But when things have a root and they're pretty heavy duty and serious and fairly habitual, that's when like, we have a choice. It's like, well, I'll just kind of wait till it happens again and I'll just do the prayer thing again and uh, you know, it'll happen again and I'll just do that. That's totally relying on your own strength and effort. And God's like, man... I'm going to set you free of this. Exhaust all the resources you have to build my voice into your life and freedom will come. Exhaust all the avenues of God's voice. What are we talking about? We're talking about how can we like, get somebody else in there with us to help us through, to make a plan. Like, man, when I get in this spot, I'm going to rely on so-and-so. And even after such-and-such happens, I'm going to call or text or get together with so-and-so. I'm going to bring it up in my group. Or I'm going to commit to writing it down and pouring out what's going on inside of me as I talk to God about it or as these feelings about it come up. It's not a like, super fun place to be, but it's a needed place to be. It's a needed place to be. The Christ follower is guaranteed to overcome and have victory. And the Bible is really clear about greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. I mean, totally. It happens. And grace is our empowering agent to get us there. And sin just, it gets in our way. It gets in our way. So are we saying then, as a Christian, that because they died to sin, that they won't sin anymore and that they'll be perfect? No, I don't think we're saying that either. I think you'll be hard-pressed to find that in the Word where God says to do that. Yeah, what do you want to say? Uh, but my question 
let's say we do something to somebody, you know, we've wronged them or we do something that we should have done. Are you, are, are you, what is the correct process? Do you ask them forgiveness or you ask God forgiveness first, then you ask them for forgiveness, you ask God and them for, like, do you ask God, just God for, for forgiveness for what you did to that person? Or, or you ask both? Or you, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's just a combination, I guess? Or, Good question, right? And that's like a super important one. Because how do you... Uh, so if God, Jesus is pretty clear. He says, hey, forgive people. How many times? 70 times 7? No. You forgive them. <laughs> Start counting. What are you kidding? Right. So it's an important question. Exactly. Exactly. So for the Christ follower, like how do we know if we've actually forgiven somebody? That's pretty much what you're saying, right? So how, you know, how do we know that we've actually forgiven somebody? Well, there are certainly a couple of telltale signs. So number one, um, we know that we've forgiven somebody if they are not guilty in a court of law in our heart anymore. We kind of know what that looks like. So for example, if their name were to come up, we'd not like, you know how we get like that name or that person, we're like, ugh, ugh, you know, like we haven't quite forgiven them yet. That stuff's still going on. So God's like, eh, maybe you're not physically hitting them right now, but the fact that you're doing this, you know, is still not good. So somewhere in the court of our hearts, it has to be like there has to be a transformation to where actually we're more for them then we are repulsed by them. That's honestly, that's really what forgiveness looks like. So we know we've really forgiven somebody, man, we can pray for them and we can actually mean it to receive them do well. And hopefully, if they're Christian or not, you know, who knows what the deal is, but man, that they would just get closer to God and know who he is and just, ah, just a fan for their life. I want to see him do better. And if they wrong me in some way, they're not even thinking straight. They don't even, they don't even understand. Like, and it's not a Christian. Typically, the great prayer is, Father, you know, they can't see straight. They have no idea who you are and how freeing your forgiveness and love is. I pray they see it, and I pray it would start with me. It's a total shift and transform. That's how you know where I got on our way. So, so I've forgiven them. I was just talking to somebody not too long ago. I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. Really? You talked to them? Nah, I don't want to be around. <laughs> what do you mean you forgave them? So, in the court of our hearts, you know, are they still guilty? You know, are they not? Can we be more for them? Another thing that you said which is totally true. You can have forgiveness and have there not be reconciliation. So if somebody, God forbid, goes next door, kills one of my kids, then he kills himself. I, I, I'll never have a chance, chance to have interaction with that person. So I'll never get the reconciliation out of that. But within my own heart, forgiveness will have to still happen and take place. So that helps. It, it, it's interesting. 
That's right. But let me tell you the warning. The warning is some Christians can hear that and manipulate the situation and say, well, I forgive them and not really try towards reconciliation if they could try. See, some people would just hear, oh, I'll forgive them. They don't want to reconcile. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make any effort to try and like build into that. So like we as Christians, we can manipulate stuff. Especially because like, we have God with us now. We, we try to manipulate things. Oh, I've forgiven them, but I'm not going to try and you know, reconcile because of blah, 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 blah. That's when it's always a really good idea to have a trusted friend be like, hey, I was struggling with so-and-so. You knew about so-and-so. I think I've really forgiven them from my heart, you know, and I don't know if I'm supposed to recon- reconcile, you know, or really put a lot of effort into that. I think it might do more harm than good. And you ask somebody, what do you think about that? Is that me trying to weasel my way out? Or do you think, like, I should really push forward? That's why it's very healthy to be in community and ask people these things. So I don't know how we got to forgiveness, but that's where we got. All right, let's get back to this guy. All right. Verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ is raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So whoever was baptized, we were baptized into his death. So we'd be raised with Christ into a new life. Right? Baptism. So verse 5, we have been united with him like this in his death. We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. That's some good news right there. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And that's what we just talked about a little while ago. So if a Christian sinning, struggling with sin... The enemy might be successful in telling them, hey, you're not really a real Christian. Didn't really happen for you. There's a thing in the Bible called fight the good fight of faith. Fighting the good fight of faith means we're striving and we're fighting to have God's truth be made manifest in our actions. It's a fight. It's easy. It's a hard thing to do. It's easy to just think that, oh, well, I just became a Christian. Everything should be going better. And then when it doesn't, it becomes more hard. It's like people send scrambling. But the good news that we rejoice in here is that we are promised life and that sin won't reign in our hearts and in our lives. You're moving from strength to strength, from glory to glory. It's happening. So, the old you is continuing to die. It wants to show its head, but it's continuing to die. So the old Eric, it's going to try and show up once in a while. So then it's Eric's job to be like, nah, we, no. We buried that. Right? The old Christine's going to pop up. It's going to come out. She's going to do her thing. Or the old Jared, he's going to pop up, come out, try and do some stuff, try and think of a certain way. That's where the fight is. Like, how long am I going to like sit and entertain that? 
Or somebody might even come tell us and say, ah, man, you're not any different. Let's just assume that they're wrong for a minute. Some of them might be right. But let's just assume that they're wrong. Don't let that send us for a loop. We are changing. God is changing us. You put a plant in the ground. You see a tree. For a long time, it looks like nothing's going on. And all of a sudden, you look, and it's like, oh, where did that come from? The little guy starts to bud. Something starts coming out. There was growth happening in the meantime. You just couldn't see any of it. Sometimes it's like it for us. So if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Man, that's just good news right there. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, here we go. Here's the grace, work, and requirements. Right Here's the part of grace where it has requirements attached to it. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Everybody say reign. Reign, Reign, right? That's the issue, letting sin reign. Not does it exist, or do I have a possibility of failure. The issue is letting it reign. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but you're under Yeah, you're under grace there, right? So it's like, man, it's interesting how much of what we live and absorb in grace is attached to what we do with our physical bodies. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting about how we handle our physical bodies. And you can tell he's talking, you know, sexually here. And he's talking also, you know, with idols and the way we, how we handle ourselves has much to say about who we're really following. It's not really that profound, but it's really true. So he's like, man, don't even play the game. He said, listen, just offer your bodies as instruments of righteousness and holiness. A.K.A., listen, play by the rules that he set up with our bodies. I promise you it'll work out the way it needs to work out. He's just hitting us with some truth. That's what he's doing. And by faith, we can either live that out and do that and encourage. Like I hope people in this church encourage my kids. Hey, listen when they get to be that age or around that time. Somehow you find a way to encourage them to maintain physical purity. Please do it. I know I'll do my best if I come around your kids. I won't blast them, you know, but I'll encourage them. Because the world needs to hear that it's not just a rule and regulation of don't do this stuff, the world also needs to hear the stories of fulfillment and hope that's on the other end. 
The problem is we don't hear a lot on that side is because a whole lot of Christians don't invest on this side. There's just not a lot of stories of it. We need to build more stories into it. Thank you, Michael. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. He's really trying to drive that one home. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, say used to be, say used to be, Say used to be. Say used to be. Come on, you got to get that part. It's really, really important. Not just fun to say, but it's really important. Used to be. Used to be. And then your actions, your mindset got to start matching up with that. Like trying to live a life to where it used to be. Used to be. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Become set free. Freedom is inevitable. Say inevitable. Inevitable. It's inevitable. Freedom in every sense of the word. Freedom. Freedom from substances. Freedom from addictions. Freedom from ways of thinking. Freedom from habitual ways of acting. Freedom in every sense of the word is inevitable. That means it's guaranteed to happen and play out. And it means that he wants to do the heavy lifting. He wants our cooperation. He needs it. But it's inevitable. That's just amazing to me. Verse 19, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. It just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. He doesn't really hold back on these guys at all. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. The payoff is so worth it. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? That's a good word right there. There's probably just a lot of shame in our past of things that like we've done that. Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. He was probably just excited as he was writing it. You know, he's just like, ah, we've been set free. Like, don't go back here. Like, stay in this. We've been tied together with Christ. Everything that he did, he lived. Everything that's his inheritance, God now gives to the believer. We get to have it. It is ours. Why would you throw that away and sell out cheap for anything less than that? Why would we? Oh, because it looks so good on the other side. No, come on. Because we used to do it. Forget about it. Freedom is inevitable. 
becoming like Jesus inevitable. Grace empowers us to get there. It empowers us to get there. Like we say in one of our foundation classes next door, the battle is always going on in the mind. And most of the time, the battle is we're trying to cultivate a mindset that's in agreement with what God says about us. It's the battle that. We're trying to cultivate a mindset that is in agreement with what God says about us. Because naturally, we don't have a mindset that it's actually pretty hostile to what he says about us. And it really distorts it. So, I wanted to, um, let's see if we can pass these out. Diane, you want to pass these on? Yep, right here. There you go. Yeah, so just pass around, hold on to it. So as, as they're finished passing out the elements, I just wanted to um, I don't know if it was effective or not, but I really wanted to thank you. Hopefully shed a little bit more light just under the grace that we live under. Because I think if we have great clarity on that, we gain confidence with God then we can be encouraged towards victory in our lives. It helps build confidence. It helps point us towards victory. Thank you. Did you get one? That's weird. I thought I went right from the front. I guess I missed it. So the last thing that Jesus said on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's finished. It's done. Paid for. My sins, my shortcomings, my inadequacies, done. Paid for. Stuff I never even did. I wasn't even born yet. Neither were you. Paid for. Done. Paid in full. And then... He says, now live a life out of my account. I will richly give you and bless you what you need. Sometimes I will just provide bare minimum. There might be other seasons. It'll be more. Nonetheless, I will never leave you, never forsake you. In fact, I forsook my own son so I could have you. We're never going to know that feeling. That's pretty powerful. And sometimes we think that, you know, God doesn't care. It doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. It does matter. We are significant. 
So Jesus, I thank you for going through with the sacrifice. You struggled with it. You said, if possible, let this cup pass from me. I thank you that you saw our value. I thank you that it was your good pleasure to go through with the plan. And Father, we just thank you for the grace that covers our life now. That freedom and victory are guaranteed to be parts of our Christian life. We pray for continued seasons of just freedom. Continued seasons of joy. And I just pray, Father, that we would just continue to be encouraged with what you think towards us, how you feel about us, just the amazing relationship that we are privileged to have with you. And I just thank you, Jesus, for making all of it possible. It says, while they're eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body, so we take and we eat. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so we take and we drink. It says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, right, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So, I always talk about it, but can you imagine?